0: Hey guys, welcome back to The Awakening Podcast. This week is all about small groups and youth ministry. One of the questions we always get here at Awakening is how do we do small groups? So this week, Jordan Boyce, the Awakening pastor, takes some time to answer your questions and talks about the importance of small groups and what Awakening small group structure looks like. After that, Jordan sits down with Chad Beach and discusses youth ministry and raising young disciples. This episode is a great resource for youth leaders and youth pastors, so we hope this helps you in your ministry, and we encourage you to share this with someone who needs it. What's up, Elsie? How you guys doing tonight? My name is Wanson, and I'm here with Pastor Jordan, the Awakening pastor tonight. We're actually gonna talk about crews. Now, a lot of people ask us questions about what our crews are like at Awakening, why we do crews. And what's been happening with us is we've been seeing the a crew culture in awakening has been helping the youth ministry grow, and it creates this the sense of family. So I'm excited tonight to be with Pastor Jordan, just asking him some questions on why we do crews, how we do crews, some practical things to help youth pastors and youth leaders with their youth ministries with crews. So Pastor Jordan, are you ready to get started? Glad to be here. Anything to say to the youth pastors before we get started? I'm glad up there? that you're here. Are they doing well? <laughs> they are. They need some encouragement. You guys, keep
1: going for it. Just keep pushing. Don't quit on Thursday morning, and and eventually your youth
0: ministry will get better and better. Crews are possible, and you can have good small groups. There is a way to do them right. So, Pastor Jordan, let me just let's start with this. Question here: Why do we even do crews at Awakening? Crews are small groups, and so the reason we wanted to talk about small groups is because we do have
1: so many people emailing Awakening or texting us, Facebook messaging, all different uh, forms of communication, asking asking us about our small group system at Awakening. We recently went to monthly services with weekly small groups, and it's been you know extremely it's successful. Awesome. It's been awesome. So we're actually awakening actually just happened it's been a crew night tonight where we really really emphasize crews even more than we normally do and so that's why we thought we would do this special thing for leaders and uh and amidst all these questions we thought we would uh kind of talk about the importance that small groups are to our ministry and uh kind of explain how we do them a little bit and uh and so we took some of the most frequently asked questions and uh and and i kind of kind of go through them here a little bit tonight but Crews are essentially our small groups. They are probably the most important thing we do in youth ministry, and I believe every youth ministry that can should do small groups. I, I mean, if they could possibly pull it off, even if it's two, five, ten small groups, small groups will do what a service can't do. And in our church, we believe that small groups should bring friendship and accountability two of the things that really can't happen in service. See, services can have praise and worship and evangelism and, and, and salvations. It could be a great gathering together in crowds and it could be all those fun things, but um, a lot of times accountability is, is so much more one-on-one. It's tough to do in a service setting and even friendship. I know before and after youth group you can get some friendship time in, but it's very uh, uh, a small amount of time uh, available to do that. So Uh, We believe those two things are answered in small groups every single week. And so we would encourage everybody to have small groups, work on small groups, start small groups, be consistent with small groups, I believe it
0: will change your youth ministry. So that's what we've been doing here and our small groups have been growing, which means our youth ministry has been growing. Absolutely. In fact, when we, you know, if I could add to what he said, when we launched small group when we launched a once-a-month services, you know, we actually saw the people who, now we, what we see is the people who are coming to Cruise Weekly was the same number as the people who used to come to our weekly services. Right. Which is pretty awesome. Right,
1: right, because, uh, which is cool, we always used to say, and I always used to say as a youth pastor, I would rather a young person go to small group than church or, or than um, a youth church if they had to choose one that week. I'd rather them make it to small group. And uh, eventually it kind of became a challenge for us, we were looking at great churches doing the motion model which yeah. is once a month service and we kind of said if, if we believe it so much, let's do something about it. Absolutely. And so we did launch uh, our small groups being weekly and we have a once a month service where we gather together and have all that stuff. But for our church, Sunday morning has uh, really great worship and the Word is really great even to a 16-year-old. So it kind of covers the service side. Yeah. So we're able to even double down on small groups. But even when we were weekly, yeah. we had small groups. That's right, we did. We didn't have as many, but we had small groups and because I believe it is the most important aspect that will disciple your young
0: people. Absolutely. That's the point. For all the theologians watching, I know they're wondering, where do you find crews in Scripture? Well, you find it all over. The Bible always talks about how the church would meet
1: uh, in the temple and in homes. That's at church and in small groups. It's not one or the other, and one is not more necessarily spiritual than the other, both are necessary, that you gather together, you get taught scriptures, you have worship, but then you break bread together in home. So we see that all throughout the book of Acts. We also see it with uh, the, the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We see Jesus had 12 disciples. They were with him for three and a half years. That's a small group. Mm-hmm. That's a, an intense small group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, we, uh, we see it even in other places in scripture. And, and I think um, the small group model uh, is from the very beginning of the, the local church And if you want to have a healthy
0: local church, you need to have it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, sometimes it's kind of difficult to know who should and who shouldn't be a small group leader. And maybe you appoint the wrong person or or this person doesn't really have that gifting with communication. So let me just ask this question. What makes a good small group leader? How do you know who should be a small group leader? Well, like I said before, it doesn't necessarily matter if you have 100 small
1: group leaders or 10, uh, just start somewhere. Because sometimes people wanna have a a ton of small group leaders, they wanna have it all at once, they wanna have their whole entire youth ministry in small groups all at once, but just start where you can. I remember when we launched small groups, um, back then we called them ground units, now we call them crews, but uh, uh, because our our youth ministry's name was Ground Zero, which is a terrible name. Why? I don't know, I don't know how. So we called them ground units. And uh, we had four small group leaders at that time and uh and that's all that we could you know kind of handle um and 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 i don't even know how many of them have continued on one of them has actually she works at the church now she's a great crew leader even still but uh, we launched four ground units and then that became seven or ten but the beauty was that we just started Mm. and and even though we didn't have 80 or whatever we had four and they, they could accept 10 12 kids some of them had two or three But uh, it brought something to our youth ministry that was desperately needed. And so um, I am all for the crowd. I love the crowd. I wanna have the crowd. But I think you do your church a disservice in the long term if you don't create a space uh, to have discipleship, to have deep discipleship, to have personal discipleship and accountability. So uh, if I was to say anything to youth pastors, I'd say just start, just start. Two, three, four. If you can't find a couple other small group leaders, find one. You know? and the qualities that you're looking for is people of character, right. people that are, are loyal. They're in this thing. Right. They're right. not necessarily trying to get on the stage or, or have a calling to preach. We don't need another sermon. The sermon was already on Saturday, already on a Wednesday night, whenever you have youth. We already, we already had the sermon mm-hmm. preached. We need people that just love kids, mm-hmm. and this is pretty wide open net for who could you know, be a small group leader. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the qualities we look for are, again, people that, that are of character, they're consistent, they're not always ducking small group. Right. They're not coming up with reasons to not have small group. Consistency is the key to growing great small groups. Mm-hmm. We have uh, we uh, we are always looking for people uh, that that love teenagers or or love you know and, and a lot of our greatest small group leaders are young adults. Mm. They're in college or whatever and they can't maybe do a ton of things but they can hang out with some kids at McDonald's once right. a week and I'm telling you it makes the world of difference yeah. for for people. Uh, so we want you to have character. We want you to be consistent. Right. We want you to love the people and I think if you can find that. Everything else uh, kind of falls into place. Yeah. We don't need you to be a phenomenal communicator right. uh, or a, a soon-to-be youth pastor. See, the problem we have a lot of times with small groups is we want giant small groups, right? and and we we celebrate giant small groups. If they have 30 people in their small group, we say, oh, look at Lisa yeah. has 30 people in her small True. groups. Well, it's not a small group. It's a youth group, and she's not a small group leader. She's a youth, youth pastor. pastor, you know, like literally bring her on staff. There you go. but. But what what happens when we celebrate that is we tell all the small group leaders, we actually don't want you to have a small that's group. That's good. We want you to have a giant group. Now, if someone could be faithful with three kids, right. that's an awesome thing. Yep. That's a beautiful thing. I thank God for that. Be faithful with those three. And maybe one of them could be a small group leader and be faithful with seven. Mm-hmm. You pull this thing out two or three years, you have uh, a healthy ecosystem mm-hmm. of people, accountable to people, leading people, in, uh, in church with people.
0: And... Uh, and it happened on a consistent uh, level, so. That's awesome. So we've talked about kinda why we do crews and what it looks like to be a good small group leader, but practically speaking, what happens every week in the crew? Well, like I said, Every single week, we
1: want to accomplish two factors. Now, it might be different for you, but you do need to know what uh, what you're looking to accomplish in a crew. You need to write it down, it needs to be clear, and all of your small group leaders need to know what it is you're looking. In other, in other words, you have to define the win. Otherwise, they won't know if their small group's successful, they won't know if they're doing a good job. You need to define the win, and then you actually need to continually follow up. We do it once a month. We follow up with people and see how they're doing. We, we have them uh, write reports in, See how many people came that they did have their small group and any notable things. And that's even a great way to figure out the health of your church and any issues going on and all of that. But, uh, but we, uh, what was your question? It was, uh, I always forget it halfway through. and like I, I try and go back around to it. <laughs> what, what happens practically during a, cruise? During so a crew? During a crew. Well, the beauty is we have a free market system. You could almost do anything. It's you can true. play Xbox, you can play basketball, you can do whatever the heck you want uh, in your crew. We just want to make sure uh, that friendship is happening and discipleship is happening. Right. That's our win. Mm-hmm. Friendship and discipleship. Because number one, we think we need people, uh, our young people need people that have their back that are right. so for them, right. whether they're doing great or not, whether they're perfect or not, you know whether they're, you know, they're cool or not. We need, we need our young people to know they are loved no matter what. They're accepted no matter what. And, and then we do want discipleship to happen. Right. So that should happen every single week. Now, how it works for us is we use the SOAP method. Mm. And other people use different things. They do books and they go through, you know, some go through discipleship, leadership books. We've got a great uh, Uversion app, uh, Awakening uh, devotional 30 days for brand new believers. You know, we bring our kids through that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different things you could do, but what we do is the SOAP method, which is scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And the beauty of this is you can barely uh, screw it up. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can barely screw it up. It's crew made you, easy. You, you read a scripture, you say what you think about it, and even if what the kid thinks is kind of crazy, yep. Who cares? It's what he thinks, you know. It's <laughs> and 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 good point, you know. Or just you know just go, ah, you know. And well, you know. But it, it's 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 great. And then you apply it. Well, how does this apply? And then the same kid that had a crazy observation says, well, I think it applies like this. And just say, good point. It does. Let's pray together. It's safe. It works. It's it's so simple to do. And we don't have to always be coming up with you know new. Uh, giant series stuff, we just shoot the verse out and say, hey, hey, pray about this thing, just because nothing is more powerful Mm -hmm. than scripture applied to young people's lives Mm -hmm. anyways. Mm -hmm. So the SOAP method is what we use. It makes it easy on the crew leader, makes it easy for the crew, and uh, I really, really think it's a good method. I know a lot of other churches have great methods. Church of the Highlands has great methods. Uh, Rick Warren, of course, is
0: like the king of small groups. So you can look out. At all of them, but that's what we use at Awakening. Yeah, and one of the things I love about it is that it encourages discussion and actual talking amongst the crews. Agreed. Not just Agreed. the preacher, crew leader oh, trying to the preach. The worst to these crew leader, leader is the wannabe preacher. It's the worst. Yeah. And so I think soap really answers to that and helps the crews actually discuss. Agreed. I think we even gave a percentage in our in our how we do it, which is just a document we have with how we work our crews. Seventy percent conversation, maybe thirty percent explanation, and the crew leader trying to help them. And so, right. One of the best parts is that's that good. communication in crews. Moving on, what do we actually do at Awakening to help raise up new crew leaders? Sometimes it's tough to know who's kind of up next. How do we set it up so that new crew leaders can come in? We're working on new leaders. We're looking for who's, who, who's next. The number one thing I would say to youth pastors is you need, to, you need to appoint
1: a crew director. I tried to run it myself for a long time, and it just could not get off the ground. You need to find someone who is good at managing um, uh, multiple people that is good at directing multiple people and multiple crews they got to be somewhat attuned to I don't want to say stats, but stats to a degree. Yeah. You know, they, they got to be attuned to uh, running reports and stuff like that, but also able to speak into people's lives and mm-hmm. and <laughs> correcting them, you know, letting them know, hey, I saw your crew went three hours. It should not go three hours. You know, different yeah. different stuff like that. They've got to manage one by one. So they've got to have a good gift mix. But number one, you need to appoint a crew director. If you try to do it as a youth pastor and you got to run the youth ministry and you got to preach every week and you got to, there's no yeah. way no. so you point a crew director and watch what they'll do especially if they have the heart for the thing mm-hmm. give them some resources let them watch this and um, and you're got to do that the second thing you want to do to raise up crew leaders is have them well we have a monthly meeting I know motion has uh, a meeting every two year uh, every uh, uh, two times a year and a lot of people do it different ways but we have a monthly meeting it's on our awakening team night on that night we gather together we talk vision we worship together we you know, that's when we play a dumb game or whatever, but it's kind of fun, the family side of it. And then from that, we go into workshops and the band practices for The Awakening Night. And one of our main workshops every single week is a crew leaders workshop. Yeah. Where the crew director, who's my sister Christiana, she gets up and she begins to speak about the state of the crews, the health mm-hmm. of the crews, the vision, she maybe might highlight the new crew leaders coming up. Yeah. And that's always like a faith building thing, yeah. that here's the five new crew leaders that are joining mm-hmm. this month, everybody cheers. She calls out, hey, one thing I noticed, we got to you know work on this or we got to get into these two schools or be praying for that and it just brings a cohesion mm. to the crews and keeps the crews structured and inspired mm. which you know if you if you go on our uh, awakening collective on awakening conference you can find pastor uh, our pastor pastor steve's thoughts on that which is truly just incredible structured and inspired but um, so that's another way to raise crew leaders up sometimes we have a um a workshop which the new crew leaders can join in. Yeah, we have a, a how we do it handbook of what we're looking for. We hand it to them. And we say this is it, all of it. Here we define yeah. the win form. It's very clear. Mm. We have them listen to our old, uh, you know, some of our, our past um, uh, journals and just writings, blogs mm. on, on, you know, uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> <It's small> groups. <laughs> small groups. And the last thing is every single crew leader has a second. Right. Someone they're raising up. If they're not raising someone up to take over their crew, to replace them, to launch out, then they're not doing their job fully as a crew leader. Mm. Everyone has a second. And that person is being prepared in every area of the crew Mm -hmm. to launch their own crew. Mm -hmm. So it's really a self-replicating model. And it's always been good. And it's amazing. Uh, Many times you'll find the people you would have never, ever thought could be great crew leaders. Will turn out to be the best. True. You think that you see that kid, you say, "Man, that kid." You know, you almost can't even find the place in church where he would be great. Turns out, he's the greatest crew leader you've ever had. He was right. just waiting for a chance. Right. And uh, that's why I love I love crews because it's a very different thing than maybe worship leading, where if you don't sing well, you ain't gonna lead, and that's the end of that. But this, it's almost like you could do crews in the weirdest way with you know video games or mm-hmm. whatever, and all of a sudden the thing takes
0: off. Right. You know? Right. That's awesome. I love that. Here's a question I think that's kind of interesting. I think you could start crews and you can have them happening in the background, but how do you actually make crews a part of the culture of your youth ministry? So how did we make crews a part of the awakening culture and really it's get people culture. to buy in and join? Well, I've heard Andy Stanley say, uh, no one's going to join a crew unless
1: uh, you're talking about your own crew, which I love that. And so what I would always do is I would talk about my crew, the crew when I, what I was in when I was growing up or the crew that I had, that many of them are crew leaders and, and, and pastors now in, in, in our church or, or, or uh, on staff at the church, but um, uh, you need to celebrate crews from the pulpit, mm-hmm. publicly. Do it during announcements, highlight it, always have a story from one of the crews. Mm -hmm. Tonight, uh, uh, the Awakening uh, director, Aaron, he was speaking to Awakening in one of his first sermons to Awakening. He did great. It was awesome. He gets up and he reads a story that was posted in our crew leaders kinda group me uh, base camp thing and which is just the way we communicate. And he reads a story about a crew leader that brought their whole crew to a wake together yeah. because one of the girls, a uh, grandmother died. It's amazing. And he reads it and the whole place cheered. Why? Because we're celebrating. That is our culture. Right. We do want that. We want a crew that will show up at uh, a funeral or that will show up at a wake and support you. And that does more for crews than online sign-ups or announcements saying, you should do this. Come on, God said, gather together. Getting up there and telling a story like that shows the why. Mm. And the why is the most important thing. This is why we do this. It shows the heart. It It shows the love. It shows the friendship. And instantly everyone says, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. So we celebrate it from the pulpit. Mm. We make it easy to sign up yeah. on our website. It is right there. You can sign up. We try as much as we can. We want to be responsive and putting people in the right crews. We talk about it in our growth track system, which is essentially our membership process. It's everywhere. It's right. everywhere. And uh, and we also actually do our crews. This is from Churchland Islands. We do them in seasons. You know, And so uh, we actually just finished our crew season for our church this week. Mm-hmm. We're going to relaunch it in January. And when we do relaunch it, it's a big big deal and people sign up and we celebrate it and another great thing is we say uh, uh, every crew should have a crew name Mm -hmm. and it's like the more creative the crew name, the the more people join. And it gives it an identity, right? It gives it an identity and it gives them an identity and it's funny, some of the greatest friendships come, now when even when the crew ends. These people are great friends, even it's if they true. join a different crew. There's great friends, and the church grows larger and healthy at the same time. Right. You know, I heard Rick Warren say the church needs to grow larger and smaller at the same time. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, so all those are, are, are different ways that you could uh, make uh, bring the bring the crew into the forefront of the church. Yeah, that's awesome. Another thing is yeah. post online.
0: Absolutely. All right, post online. And we I encourage always, it, right? We have a hashtag oh, that we say,
1: "Awakening Crew." Hashtag Awakening yeah. Crew. If you go on the hashtag, you'll just see tons of pictures. I always say, I don't care if it's you. Right. And one kid. Right. You take a picture. Or if no one came to crew, you take a picture with your Bible and say, right. Had crew with the Holy Spirit this morning. Praying more people come. You know? Hashtag awakening crew. And because I pray that any day, because our crews go all throughout the week, any day someone goes on their Facebook, goes on their social media, goes on their Instagram, and they're a part of our church, they see a crew right in front of them. Let me tell you, that is a powerful thing because right. it shows the crew. Right. Sometimes it's tough to say, well, you're gonna gather together and it's gonna be at a Dunkin' Donuts and you're gonna, you know, keep each other accountable. Mm-hmm. And everyone says, like, nah, <laughs> no. <laughs> but when you show, oh man, that's what it looks like. Right. And you see everybody smiling, you see a lot of right. donuts, you say, I'm into that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, showing the crew is the most powerful method to get people a part of it. And let me tell you, you no one wants to be uh, left out. Right. When you show that crew, nobody wants to be left out. Right, right. When you go to the movies with a, with a big squad of friends, mm-hmm. or if your friend goes to the movie with a big squad and they didn't invite you, right. you say, I don't want to be it's left so out. so true. We kind of use that with crews and just say, you don't want to be left out, join the right.
0: crew. Right. So our social media is a huge part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. And it develops that culture within the youth ministry. So it's a really awesome thing. Agreed. Any other thoughts? You have one last thought about crews, one thing you'd add maybe, what it takes to, what makes a good small group, or one last thought before we head out. The thing I would say about crews, is that it's what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. So we see Jesus
1: had a crew. And even within that crew, he had kind of different types of people. And he had the three that were really close to him, you know, almost his inner circle. Those were the three he was kind of mentoring that were gonna really take the heavy weight of the church going forward. He had John the Beloved, who was just kind of like his best friend. For mm-hmm. some reason, they just clicked. Mm-hmm. And, and John had, you know, some great things happen in, uh, in the New Testament after Jesus. Uh, Returned to heaven, but uh, he he didn't even lead the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't he wasn't beloved because he was maybe the strongest leader. He was just beloved. He just right. clicked with them. Yeah. Peter took on the church in Jerusalem. He was strong. He was forceful, and Jesus knew this is what's going to happen. So I'm going to have to bring you into these certain situations. So when he kicked everybody out, he brought the three in to heal the girl. When when he went up to the mountaintop, saw Elijah and Moses, he brought the three with him. There was a reason, mm. you know, and because Jesus was kind of mentoring him. And, and then you'll also have the 12 uh, that are really close. And we believe crews shouldn't be more than 12 just because Jesus had that number. And That's there's right. something about fourteen, fifteen that turns you into the speaker mm-hmm. and them into the listeners. There's something about the 12 that makes you be in this thing together. Mm-hmm. And so even within that three, you might have three that you're raising up. Uh, within the 12, you might have three that you're raising up. And there might be a Judas. And this is for even for all youth pastors. I pray that you raise up a core and there's 12. Yeah. And there's people you're putting into. There's people you click with. There's people that you're living life with. But there might even be some people that leave the church and spit on you as you walk out. Just know it happened with Jesus. Yeah, It happened with Jesus. But just because there is a Judas doesn't mean you don't have uh, a crew. Yeah, You have a crew and you love no matter what. Right, You love no matter what. And when the Judas walks away, you say, God bless you. You pray for him. But you still continue to minister to the crew. You still continue to, to gather the crew. And I, I want to encourage any youth pastors, if you feel like, you know, uh, I had a Judas, sometimes... Pastors get so caught up on their haters right? And the, and the people that betrayed them. Right. Don't don't miss a John just because a Judas existed in your crew. That's good. Find the beloved, hang with him, get healed, and fill the spot. Fill the spot because people are looking for a family. Our favorite verse for Cruz is in Psalm 68 and it says, uh, God sets the lonely in families. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Cruz can do for your church what almost nothing else in your church could do. It could find the lonelies and set them in families. And so, by that, it is one of the most biblical things we could do. And I don't know if you need to have 80 or 800, but if you have eight, that's a great start. It's a great start, and these young kids will be thankful for it. So 14 years as a youth pastor? Yeah. That, it goes against almost every single statistic we've ever heard. And most of the youth pastors I've known, how on earth do you keep consistent for that long?
2: Well, I think your heart has to be in it, number one. And I think it also it's a, um, I think it's a perspective. I just always thought, like, everybody's unique in their own right. You know, I, I didn't get married till I was 28. So I became a youth pastor at 19. I didn't get married till I was 28. I didn't date anybody for seven years. And the reason why I didn't date anybody, now there was opportunity, though. But um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, church. And um, I, the reason why I didn't date is not because um, any other reason than the fact that I was just obsessed with what I was doing and i didn't want to be distracted i didn't have time for that i was investing in the young people i was i was just my head was down i was trying to reach schools i was trying to build something i was trying to help and i think i just saw youth ministry as the greatest opportunity in the whole world i'm shaping young people's lives and that became an obsessive thing to me so i think you know for you as a leader you have to really discern what's your calling What's your lane? What's your grace? What has God mandated you to do? I felt like that was a mandate from God that I was supposed to be living my life this certain way. And I never once started out going like, okay, 15 years, that's what I am. I am a 15-year youth pastor. Like that's, no, it's just every season staying soft before the Lord, really listening to what he has to say. And, And sometimes I would have like these feelings like, am I still good at this? Like, can I still do this? And I would always feel like God being like, stay. And then when it's over, it's the, it's the most, i never forget my last message I ever preached as a high school pastor. I bawled my eyes out because I'm like, I've literally been reaching high school students since I was in high school. I was obsessed with youth ministry when I was, when I was 17 years old, my youth pastor had something happen to him. And my dad came to me. I was a junior in high school. And he's like, you're going to be the youth pastor for a few months. And the youth ministry took off and went from 25 to 125. And, and I, was a, I was 17. So I've been working with young people since I was 17. When that, when that ends for you, it was like a death. I was so sad because I knew it would never be the same. I'll always preach to young people. But there's nothing like going to the games and being in the cafeterias and being obsessed with reaching kids so that was just a special season that i felt like god had for me and i think for every one of us you got to be true to what you know god's calling you to do
1: and that is unbelievable yeah you you talked to me once about times and seasons in youth ministry and really kind of helped me even make some sense of uh of it was about my third year and there was a turnover and i wasn't understanding what was happening but you were saying the kids that kind of came in with you are moving out of high school. So, you know, now there's a change in season. Can you talk about some of the times and seasons we're gonna face in youth ministry?
2: Well, I think probably one of the greatest things any youth pastor, youth team, youth leader could do is you have to understand the rhythm of a calendar year for youth. So and some of this reflects in the big church, like for example, um, I was with Chris Hodges the other day and Chris Hodges in, in Birmingham, Alabama has one of the greatest churches in America, church of the highlands. And he, he's saying that he takes his church through two 21 day prayer fasts a year in, in January, start of the school, uh, start of the year. And then in September, start of the school year. And I thought that's like because he's in the suburbs, he understands that the school year really is the catalyst to the whole year. And I think as a youth pastor, I always just try to understand what's the month of January gonna do for our youth ministry as opposed to the month of June. I remember years ago, I read this book from Doug Fields and he said, don't ever touch the month of June as a youth pastor. So I I had this thought, don't ever touch the month of June as a youth pastor. And then I started to learn, wait a second, that was for him in the 90s. This is 2000 something. I can't touch June. And now if you notice, some of the best youth conferences in America are in the month of June. So so in other words, these guys were understanding what works for you What's August going to do as you ramp up? What's September? Oh man, there ain't nothing like September and October for a youth ministry. Can I get a wholehearted amen? Like in, in July, you want to cry your eyes out. I am the worst youth pastor ever. Like if you're a youth pastor, never preach on the week of the 4th of July because ain't no kids going to be in town and you're going to feel like a looser. Can I get an amen? But come September 12th, Come September 28th, come October the 11th, oh my, I am the man! You know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, just learning the rhythm of a calendar, learning the rhythm of what does spring break do? What sucks nowadays is spring break in your area is gonna hit you for three weeks in a row because of all the different school districts. Why don't all the school districts get together and just say we're all gonna celebrate spring break on one week, can I get a witness in the church? And so, you know, you got to just, you got to understand rhythm. You got to understand calendar. You got to understand. And then those are opportunities for you to say, when are we going to throw events? When are we going to host our retreat? There ain't nothing worse than the youth ministry that has some big event and it's prom weekend. That ticks me off because you didn't know your school calendar. There ain't nothing worse than some youth group that's throwing conference and it's during the state basketball tournament. That ticks me off. Because what you're saying is we don't care about you, you should care about us. That's just not the church. And good luck with that, because it ain't never going to work. So I think one of the jobs of a youth pastor is to be totally in tune with the calendar of their area, of their school districts, and to understand when are the prime openings to really tap into culture.
1: That's absolutely brilliant. I'm glad you said that too, because you know, as youth pastors, we know, or we've been told, or even maybe experienced, summer is rough. You know, yeah. and so the first year of youth ministry was exactly that. By July, I was done. You know, I was a youth pastor for four weeks in July yeah. and I was done. Right. Uh, but, uh, but I began to think about maybe we could do this better. So we began to switch stuff up. We almost don't have church, uh, inside here during the summer. We almost exclusively have it at our field. Wow. We set it up. We so do acoustic smart. stuff. We have games. We have yeah. soccer tournaments. Yeah. We've got bonfire stuff. And it's crazy that, uh, not being locked in yeah. and just flipping it, having it in the parking lot or whatever, yeah. uh, yeah our youth group is sometimes double the size during the amazing. summer than it is you know, in September. And, and it's crazy because I would have never, ever thought that if I would have listened to every other youth ministry which says right. summer sucks. Yeah. You know? And so I love what you're saying too is that you got to pay attention to the calendar. You got to pay attention to the school mm. and then you got to pay attention to
2: your area. Yeah, what's amazing about that is summer does suck for some. You know, uh, when I was growing up in high school, every Sunday night, every Sunday night, all through the summer... Um, I grew up in a very small town, but they had a drive-in movie theater. And so on Sunday nights, it was just known that's where everybody's going to be. So n- you never text anybody. You never call anybody, meet you at the drive-in. Just You just knew everybody was going to be there because in the summertime, where else are you going to socialize? Where else are you going to get to see everybody? I always felt like for our youth ministry, if we could do stuff that were so fun have food barbecues stuff that you're talking about everyone's going to come out because guess what young people want they want to be together they want to hang out why do you think they go to the mall to shop they ain't got no money <laughs> trying to check out a girl they're trying to be together and church should be the same thing that's brilliant that you did that
1: Man, that's awesome uh Let's, let's talk a little bit about your discipleship process because you raised up incredible disciples. I don't know if you guys know this, but you said at one point you had 400 uh, students in high school, 400 young adults, and they, they blended together. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I think really stuck out about Puyallup was the disciples you built, the leaders you built. Thank Could you me. talk a,
2: a little bit about a key to
1: raising up young disciples?
2: I think that discipleship is just... I think you look at it as such a privilege, right? Like, think about this. Someone has given you influence in their life. I hope that you would have the sobriety and the maturity to never take that lightly. You know what's amazing is I come back to LA and all the kids that were in my youth ministry back in the day, every one of them's come back to the church and they're all like, you were my dad. I remember what you told me when I was 14 years old, you said this statement and I'm like, that was 15 years ago. 12 years ago, but it sticks. And never take influence lightly. I think that you only lose influence when you don't realize that you have influence. And so to to disciple somebody. Now, what we never do is we never go, well, you know, I want my sheep to look like me. We, we were with this guy. God bless his heart. And he was like, he was telling a few of us, he's a new youth pastor, I think. I hope. Anyways. And he was like, he realized, I forget what the question was. Something like, how's discipleship going? He's like, well, you know, I just want my sheep to smell like me. And I'm like, "Aqua de Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> is that the Michael Jordan cologne? Like, what are you talking? He's like, you know, I'm trying to be around my sheep so they get my scent. And I'm like, ah, bad language, but I understand what you're saying. You know, I think what we want to do is we want to get kids around you. Remember the Bible says in Mark 3, and the disciples... They were with him. How did they start this global movement? Well, they just spent a lot of time with him. And even Paul, investing in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, the things that you've seen and heard, you know, go go pass that on to other people. The thing about discipleship that we have to understand is it's not always a classroom setting. It's not always you sitting down at some Starbucks and telling them five things. It's you bringing them to the house and saying, "Let's watch the Super Bowl." It's you bringing them to the house, and say, "Come on, let's watch the NBA playoffs." Come on, we're gonna—I'm gonna go um, to this park and play basketball. You guys want to come along? I think um, I heard it said a long time ago that you know, ministry or life is is caught more than taught. But I would look at it this way: I always thought they're catching stuff, but I'm always gonna teach them as well. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make discipleship totally 100% based upon their ability to read things. Because Jesus put the disciples in his back pocket, let them go everywhere, but then he'd pull them away and he goes, you realize why I said that, right? So it's both caught and top. You will create great disciples and leaders if you get them around you, let them catch everything, and then you sit them down every once in a while, not every week. Because you don't want to become too familiar but you sit them down and you go, you see why I do this. You see what happened here. You see, and you can use other leaders' poor mistakes and decisions as an examples for them. But the goal is that your disciples, here's the whole point of discipleship, that your disciples go further than you. The disciples aren't there so you can create guys that follow you and are loyal to you. The disciples are there so you can create guys that are so good, they'll go way further than you could ever go yourself. Isn't that your heart for the people that you're leading? Come on, make some noise, and let's clap unto God. That's your heart. And that's good. Uh, one movement
1: I'm seeing in youth ministry that kind of bugs me a little bit is it dismisses the crowd at, the, uh, at, the, at the, the, or the point of disciples. So they say, like, it's disciples or crowd.
2: But can crowd and disciples coexist? absolutely <clears throat> i'm reading a great book I, I i would encourage you to read it maybe you already have it's called deep and wide oh my gosh andy stanley unbelievable one of the brilliant thinkers in the church today i think what has happened and it really does bother me as well is that what is so sexy in christianity today is the sinner and what is celebrated so much is the sinner but I will implore you to make sure that you celebrate the sinner, but that you pay just as much equal value on the saint. Like the reason why your church is awesome is not because the sinner's there. It's awesome because the saint that keeps showing up every week, keeps lifting his hands, keeps tithing, keeps coming to your leader's meeting early. Like that guy's awesome. Thank you that, you know, Ralph showed up and he smells like cigarettes. That's part of our job. But the other part of it is equally, I mean, Jesus spent time with sinners, no question, he spent a lot of time with saints. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. And as a minister, you got to have the maturity not to get caught up in what is vogue and trendy and sexy. And that's just, well, how many people got saved? 25. Well, that's all that matters. Really? That's all that matters. That's good. That's good. When did that become the only measuring stick of success? Wow. How many are in small groups? How many came to the leaders meeting? Right. How many are in recovery? Right. Like how many are in your internship? Right. That's all, those are other measuring sticks for success. So I would say, I would try and divide your heart in half and say, let's put a lot of emphasis on sinners and let's, let's form a service and you're preaching towards sinners being able to hear it. But, but how terrible would this be? Sinners loved it and saints ain't getting nothing. Like your preaching should be able, and please read this book because Andy talks about how to preach to you know, multiple layers of a crowd. But I just believe that the word, when the word is preached, the Bible is so sufficient that when you preach the Bible, it will encourage the sinner and the saint when you preach it adequately. Amen. And that's awesome. You, t-
1: you mentioned small groups in there. Uh, you had a great small group program. Could you just give us maybe a couple keys uh, to keeping our small groups fresh and successful working?
2: Yeah, th- that is a great question. I think, um, again, going back, I'm just giving you resources. Uh, people that I-, I like to study in particular right now with our church, Chris Hodges, you know, he has a four four cups. It's a great book that he put out for four steps. We want people to get saved. We want them to get discipled. We want them to be growing growth tracks. And then we want them to serve and be on team. And I would say when people get saved in your church, my question would be how, what is the process? What's, how do they get plugged into small groups? And what is your philosophy on that? Like, excuse me, are your, are your small groups based around fun? Are they based around curriculum? Are they based upon your last week's teaching? Are they based upon a Bible study read-through? Like, it doesn't matter what it is. You just got to resolve in your heart, I want my discipleship to be around this, or alpha, or fill in the blank. But remember, with small groups, they're supposed to be small groups. The thing that always bothers me about youth ministry is we celebrate the guy that can get 40 kids to his house. Well, that guy's small group's awesome. No, that's a youth group. I can't give 40 kids to my house. Is he selling drugs? This is weird. This group is bigger than mine. But, but all the while, Lily can only get two girls to show up to her small group. And you're selling me the guy with 40 and looking past the girl, and get two. A small group should be small. And it always bothers me when the youth pastor walks around and goes, you gotta meet so-and-so, man, best small group in our youth group. Really? Best? But Lily's got real fruit. This guy can gather. That's just don't don't confuse the gift to gather from the gift to disciple. And that's just a gathering gift. And so, you know, you gotta always be excited about the guy that can get three people to come. It's a big deal. And, and, and probably able to accomplish a lot more than the one anomaly in your church that can gather 40. And I'm not down on this guy that can get 40. That's a grace and a leadership gift to gather. He'd probably gather more, better than most youth pastors. Okay, so how are you going to use this guy and how are you going to champion and resource this girl? Does that make sense? So, that's
1: so good. And one thing I want to mention to you guys is we, uh, we've we taken a look at our small group system and we want to get these kids discipled, so we wrote... A, uh, we wrote a five-week thing, and we actually put it on you version, so anybody can download it right now. And we, it's it's literally basic discipleship. Like you got saved, here's day one, you know, and they can go through 30 days. And I would encourage you to use it. I wrote it for our youth ministry, but it's really written for youth ministries, and uh, it's phenomenal. We've already, I mean, we've already seen every kid that goes through it uh, stays, yeah. is consistent. The kids that I can't get through it, you know, sometimes they're a little wobbly, but every kid that goes through it is, is far more consistent. So I would say, check that out. Just wow. you version type in awakening on, on the, on the Bible. Just shameless plug, right? shameless. shameless plug.
2: Uh, I love that you did that. Oh, thanks. And, and let me just say this. We live in a digital world. Right. I'm going to sh- show you some, uh, you know, in just a minute of a, of a friend that just released an app that I want, I want to encourage you to get, but we live in a digital world right now. I'm working with this guy that I'm going to tell you about in just a minute. I'm working on soap, which has been a huge part of my life. Soap is um, I'm 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 creating an app for not just young people, but for you know anybody that that wants to do a Bible read through because. You know, for years, we discipled young people through paper Bible and writing with pens and papers. And my passion is to see kids in the word. And so we're making it onto a digital platform for people to be able to just get on this app. The Bible read there. They can write in their scripture observation application prayer. Awesome. They can keep a journal on this app awesome. and do it. And, and, and then from there, once they're done, they can put it on their blog. They can tweet it. They can Facebook it. They can what, whatever they want. And, um, you know, but the goal should never be to, to disciple people the way you were discipled. The goal should always be to disciple people in their language. Does that make sense? So the message is the same, but you better change the method like keep the method fresh always talk a little bit because you mentioned this
1: yesterday with rich I thought it was pretty cool talk a little bit about the importance of having friendship uh, in ministry you know other ministers connections that that sort of thing
2: well um, what's interesting I think about life and and even these kind of relationships is you know for a lot of years I had friends in the ministry Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden God brings you brothers. And I think in ministry you gotta just you gotta go. I I was with Israel Houghton the other day and and he told me this brilliant story about something that he experienced with Joel Olstein. And Joel Olstein, he was going into Joel's office and he was saying, I, I'm probably gonna have to resign because you know I have these opportunities that have come and i it's gonna cause me to be gone for two months, and I understand if I can't keep working here and and Joel said, No, 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 you can stay on staff. He said, Favor has opened for you. And in life, you got to always follow your favor. And I hope as a leader, you understand where you have favor, follow your favor. And in life, some relationships happen, and it's like, you know, this is a friend for life, you know, this is a brother. And you got to be able to discern. You know, some relationships are f- are for a season. Some relationships aren't there forever. Some relationships are you're working together. And Amen. in between, um, you know, friends and brothers or friends and covenant relationships, excuse me, your goal should never be, I'm looking for some covenant relationships. No, when that comes, you just follow your favor. And so, I, you know, I had great friends before I met Rich. And I still do have great friends. But for some reason, when that relationship happened, it was just like, This clicks. Right time, right place, right season, right. It's just, and you, you can't force that. That's a God given relationship. And so I would say, be loyal to your friends, be loyal to the people in your world. And then every once in a while, God will send you a brother or a sister. And when you find that you hold on to that with dear life.
1: Awesome. That's so good. That's so good. How do you, on the flip side, how do you handle the haters? How do you you handle the people that maybe don't understand, don't like, and leave stupid comments?
2: You know, I think the interesting thing about haters is we all have them, and they're in your world, whether they're telling you or not. And um, Andy Stanley, again, he said something so brilliant. He said, I reserve the right in my world to text who I want to text and meet with who I want to meet with. And I would just encourage you as a pastor leader, you don't have to meet with your haters. You don't have to give time to your haters. You don't have to give them headspace. Like, I've just learned in ministry, like, if, some, if somebody's really not with me, I don't have time for it. And I just, I'm not trying to be mean. I just got a lot of people that are with me. And, and sometimes this will happen with family. And I've watched leaders I respect really have to distance themselves from family members because family members don't understand the grace. Family members are jealous. Family members are envious. And remember, that this, is a, this is a problem going back to Genesis. Am I my brother's keeper? Like jealousy in, in ministry and family, this is an enemy's tactic from the first book and you have to be able to stay soft and wise and still not offensive even if family turns against you and what i don't like is we live in a culture where we give so much accolade to haters man i got haters so what you're doing stuff you should concerns me if you don't have haters but don't give them space or time or acknowledgement. Like, I got people in my world says, like, I'm sorry. I don't live around negativity. I don't stay around cancer. I don't have time for all that. I don't sit around and talk about people. I don't sit around and, and dwell on the past. I've moved on. You haven't. I just don't have space for it. And I hope that you would, not in a, in a braggadocious or an arrogant way, but you just got to move forward. And don't give praise to haters. I don't acknowledge haters, why? Because why would I let someone so small, like this morning I got on Twitter and some dude, and just, how do I do, that? okay, block. That simple, I'm never gonna think about it again. Like, I don't have time. I got a lot of people with me going this direction, we got a lot of resources, let's focus on that. So please don't be the guy that's like on Facebook defending what you're doing. And sometimes some of my friends engage these guys, and I'm like, do you think that engaging them is going to change them? Like just, it's not worth it. And so I just, the haters are there. I'm not concerned about some dude in his basement in Delaware talking about me. I'm more concerned about my family or close friends that used to be with me. I'll give a little bit of, of, of energy to that. Can I learn? Are they right? Do I need to repent? No. Okay. Let's move on. Yes. Let's apologize. But other than that, don't give it too much.
1: That's unbelievable. That's so, so good. It's so good. I, I know Pastor Rick Warren talked about the haters, and he said, outlove them, outlast them, and outfruit them.
2: Yeah, that's I great. I love that.
1: It's genius. I'm still in that.
2: It's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah, that's brilliant.
1: And, you know, you know Jesus, in, in his worst moment in the crucifixion, the Bible said he said not a word, you know? Wow. In that moment, Silence. And I I think silence could be the most powerful thing in the world. 100%. And I don't think it's used at all with youth pastors or or, or very rarely with youth pastors. Yeah. And it's because of our own insecurity. Yeah. But I think there's something to do in that where you don't give them anything. You
2: know, I learned that that the most from Judah. Exactly. He is so brilliant. Exactly. And he would never engage anybody. No. And, you know, he protects himself from, from, from... You know, receiving that stuff, you should have on your team somebody that filters all that stuff for you and let them deal with these peasants and these weirdos and these psychopaths, these religious Pharisees and these idiotic, stupid heads. Let somebody else deal with them. You don't have time for that. You know what I mean? Is so good. You,
1: you talked about this once. You said one of the things that left uh, the most impression on you with Judah Smith was that he was a master of discretion. Master. Could you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, um, I, 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 this isn't natural to me. So like, for example, last uh, week, um, I think we had like four churches take an offering for our church, and um, which is you know, unbelievable. And so I get back. And of course I want to come back to my team and I want to tell them what church, how much, isn't this awesome. So I want to be like, so-and-so gave us this much and this church gave us this much. And then I always go to my wife who is very wise and go, can I say that? And she's like, no, (laughs) because discretion, it will preserve you. Discretion is more about what you don't say than what you do say. And I just noticed from Judah he was always not saying so much. He was never even as one of his closest friends in the world. he was never saying, "You know, I was just with so and so yeah, they're pretty famous, huh? like he was ne- never i can't stand the guy that 's always like telling you everything that he 's done and is about to do it's no discretion discretion um, you know, Judah said this one time, and i I, I really I just stopped and I thought, that is so true. He said, you know, in life, you're either all of a sudden realizing that you trust somebody or you're all of a sudden realizing, I don't know when I stopped trusting that person, but I stopped trusting them. And what is, it's a sense. It's, it's, it's a discernment. It's a going, they're trustworthy. Usually people with discretion are very trusted. People that run their mouth and talk too much are very rarely trusted you got to ask yourself as a leader, do you want to be trusted? I can't think of a thing that I desire more as a leader than to be respected and trusted, not followed and enamored with respect and trust. Discretion will put you in that class. Somebody say amen to that.
1: Amen. And trusted by God. Oh, absolutely. It's why Judah Smith has part of the reason why he has a platform he has. And trusted. It, I think it's unbelievable. What's one thing, and we can kind of end here on this question, what's one thing that the local church and maybe local church youth groups need to get better with? What do we need to improve?
2: That's a great question. Um, right away, a, a lot of things come to mind. You know, like I want to see our preaching get better. Like, I, you know, sometimes it bothers me. Youth pastors, don't get up and preach like, <sighs> you know, like some, some youth pastors preach so serious. And I'm like, we should have fun and laugh. And like my memories of my youth pastor, like I had this little Mexican guy that was at youth, my youth pastor, his name was Gabe. It's like five foot nothing, like used to be a break dancer in Hollywood. And like, I just remember like looking at him like that short guy's blessing me tonight. He's awesome. And we laughed a lot, you know, so I want to see our preaching get better and more fun. I want to see, you know, just production wise and creativity. I want to see small groups and campus ministries and events. I want to see all of it get better. I think that the most important thing I would like to see get better. I would like to see us integrate young people into the church better. Because my concern is not if you're going to do a great job. My concern is where are they going to be after you do a great job? And so, you know, without any longevity, there's no fruit. And so I would just say we have to bend over backwards to plug kids into our church rather than to plug kids into our youth ministry. Like if your youth ministry is the big deal, but your pastor and your church is not the big deal. I'm not saying you wasted your time, but you're pretty close to it. You know, so I would love to see us improve with creating a pipeline. When I use that word pipeline, do you have an image of what that looks like organizationally on your flow chart? We do this in junior high. We do this in high school. We do this in college. We do this in young adults. We have a pipeline. You know, it bothers me that we spend all this money on kids and youth and then go, good luck. All the best. Go with God. You know, like. An 18-year-old has no clue how to serve God on their own. They still need their church. Amen to that? And so you should be just as strategic and resource to 19 and 20-year-olds as you should 12-year-olds.
0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. For more content and resources, head over to awakeningconference.com and share this podcast with someone you know. We'll see you next week.